So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Colombia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. Hey, it's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters close to the stars. And this is episode 439 of the Columbia Calling podcast. Our very special guest will be on the line with us from Sweden. First time I think we've had anyone from Sweden, well, in the location of Sweden, uh, on the Columbia Calling podcast. So very, very lucky as we are to have Jessica Lopez. And she'll be talking really about sustainable land use and, well, you know, the land transformation taking place in the Amazon. So, of course, we'll be discussing deforestation, the works being done by this government, the past government, what is so special about places like Chiribiquete, places in Caquetá, Guaviare, and so much more. Uh, she's an expert in her field, and I think you'll find it's really quite enlightening to talk to her. She speaks very, very well on, on this topic indeed, and kept me completely wrapped the whole way through. Of course, please, please, please look at our Patreon page. That's uh, patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling and see how you might be able to help the Columbia Calling podcast and its economic viability. Aside from that, of course, we'll be going over to the news brief with Emily Hart, going from strength to strength on that. I get a lot of feedback and reasons why some of the people are turning turning up and tuning in is due to Emily. So I'm, of course, ever grateful for her diligent work on that. We'll have some interesting, interesting episodes in the future. I know that Emily's been talking to like a, a press entity. Hopefully that will be soon. I, uh, I've got the good news that Daniel Eggington, the person, well, the guy, the adventurer, who has now tried to get through the Darien Gap on its western side, is this was his third attempt, and he made it, so he'll be back in the UK soon. It was not without some challenges, but he'll be filling us in on his adventure up the western side of the Darien Gap. I've got Simon Faulkner coming on, who's a tourism expert, who's just been to Colombia, and he'll be talking about what's going on in the world of tourism. And of course, he was in Providencia, so he can give us feedback on what really is happening on that island. Jenny Pierce uh, from the London School of Economics will be talking at some point about her report on the elites in Colombia. I hope to get Adam Nanon, who is an expert in cybersecurity, and we'll put that into the context of Colombia and the region. Uh, we have also Kevin McCaffrey, who's a friend to the Columbia Calling podcast. You'll remember a few months ago, or last year, he was, well, he fell victim to scopolamine and had all of his life savings taken from his bank account. Well, I'm bringing him on because there's a new scam out there, principally in Medellin, but of course it will... Well, I'm sure it extends across the country, directed at uh, freelancers, foreigners, locals, and so on. Quite scary. So I'd like to get him on the show to discuss this scam a little bit because he, he suffered at the hands of some oh, pretty nefarious people here in Colombia. So interesting, interesting um, well, episodes in the pipeline for you. So don't go away. We'll be back with Jessica Lopez from Sweden, well, from Colombia, but in Sweden, talking about her topics uh, of expertise, sustainable land use. Uh, she's at the Center for Environmental and Climate Science up there at the University of Lund. And she works at the graduate school there, um, aiming at the 2030, uh, well, the sustainable uh, targets. 
So we'll be talking to her. Now over for some words from our sponsors and then on to Emily Hart with the News Brief. Thank you again for listening and don't go away. I'm Emily Hart and these are your top stories for the week of Monday, September 5th, 2022. The first polls on the new government of Gustavo Petro were released this week. The president starts his mandate with a 56% favourability rating, a percentage never reached by his predecessor, Ivan Duque, whose approval rating peaked at 52%. A majority of those polled feel that foreign relations are improving and that the government will comply with the peace agreement with the FARC. 55%, however, reject Petro's policy of suspension of hydrocarbon exploration. More than 70% are against legalising drugs, half are against gay marriage, and nearly 60% are against adoption by gay couples. 76% of those polled felt that the best option to solve the issue of the guerrilla and other armed groups is dialogues until peace agreements are reached. 21% opted for trying to defeat them militarily. 69% agree that the government should resume negotiations with guerrilla group the ELN, as it has proposed to do. In less encouraging statistics, the Democratic Republic of Congo was identified as the country most affected by organised crime, followed by Colombia. This is according to the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crimes ranking, which measures the scope, scale and impact of criminal actors and markets, and a country's ability to respond. Colombia has now seen 74 massacres this year, according to think tank Indepaz. Six indigenous people from the Sucumbios Reservation in Nariño were murdered last week. Their bodies were found along with signs, accusing them of being thieves, immoral and collaborators with FARC dissidents. Also this week, seven policemen were killed in an attack in Wheeler, attacked with explosives and rifle shots. The president gave a statement suggesting the likelihood of FARC dissident groups being the perpetrators and calling for a closer relationship between police and community. Meanwhile, a new law to underpin Petro's policy of total peace has been presented to Congress. The bill declares its aim to be human security for the construction of total peace. It proposes a peace cabinet to achieve focused and comprehensive implementation of the agreement with the FARC, which Petro promised in his campaign. The proposal also revives the possibility of peace talks in Colombian territory, in so-called peace regions, in which arrest warrants, including warrants for extradition, would be suspended. Peace talks have previously had to be held abroad in countries like Cuba. The bill also uses the word structures, allowing the possibility of processes with different armed organisations, including criminal groups and drug traffickers, as well as the possibility of reaching partial and not definitive agreements with groups for, for example, humanitarian reasons. Colombia's transitional justice tribunal, the HEP, are to open a new macro case, investigating crimes by state agents in alliance with paramilitaries and civilian third parties. The case will investigate radicalisation of the counterinsurgency movement, stigmatisation of civilians, economic benefits gained during the conflict, including land grabs and extortion, and political corruption. Once the macro case has been opened, the chamber will call to testify state agents, including military and police officers, who may have committed crimes directly or who may have been involved in the paramilitary activities. The HEP also plans to open two more macro cases, crimes committed against ethnic peoples and territories, and sexual violence and other crimes motivated by gender, sex, orientation or gender identity of the victim in the conflict. Since last week, in different parts of Colombia, people have invaded private property, claiming they are implementing Petro's promise that the lands of the Special Assets Society will be put back in the hands of campesino communities. Various members of Petro's cabinet have spoken out, asking people to stop. The Minister of Defence gave them 48 hours to vacate the invaded lands. In response to these invasions, the president of Fedegan, José Félix Laufaurier, made a video inviting the landowners to unite to defend themselves against the invasions. And the cost of living crisis continues, affecting Colombia's most vulnerable households most severely. 
Annual inflation was 10.84% in August, its highest level since 1999. Last month's record inflation was mainly driven by a 25.6% hike in the prices of food and non-alcoholic beverages, along with costs like water, electricity and fuels. The depreciation of the Colombian peso has also meant that products of the basic family basket which are imported, for example cleaning products or inputs for food production, have also raised their prices, contributing to the inflation. Those were your top stories for this week. Thanks for listening. And we're back. This is segment three of episode 439 of the Columbia Calling Podcast. I'm here in Bogota, and my very special guest is in Sweden. I think this is the first time we've ever had someone on the line from Sweden. We've had Zambia, but not Sweden. And anyways, I'm talking to Jessica Lopez, PhD, PhD in the making. She is Colombian. And she's, uh, well, she's an expert in sustainable land use at the Center for Environment and Climate Science. And she teaches as well at the Lund University Graduate School uh, for 2030 policies there. But we're going to talk all about the Amazon and security and protection and land use because it's incredibly polemic right now here in Colombia. So, Jessica, welcome on the Colombia Calling podcast. Hey, Richard. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's a real pleasure. I, let's start with the very basics, Jessica. How did you end sure. up in between Denmark and Sweden? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, well, as many, many Colombians abroad, probably, uh, love made me came to the other side uh... of the Atlantic. So, yes, I'm married with a Dane, and then, yeah, we have kids, and the rest is just a story. So I have an idea. Is he, like, you know, three meters tall? Does he look like a Viking? <laughs> <laughs> as, as different to a Bogotano as possible? <laughs> that could be. That could be a good description. Uh, not as many as many Danes Viking style, but, yeah, he, he seems quite Danish. <laughs> okay, very good. So you've been there a long time. I mean, you know, there's something like 14 years. Yes, almost 14 years now. We moved here, yeah, 2009. So wow. a lot of changes, a lot of uh, different processes. And I've been living <laughs> in Copenhagen, now in Sweden, um, in the academia, in the private sector, learning a lot about land use, sustainability, yeah. etc. And one last question about this change in lifestyle, because I think of Colombia and I think of the Alegria, and I think of you know where I am now, and you know there's ups and downs like everywhere, and I think of Scandinavia, and I think it far more organized, and maybe I but I know Scandinavians who are amazing and outgoing yeah. and talking, but the image in Colombia of a Scandinavian <laughs> is going to be someone who's cold and like rigid. Is is this true, or just put this <laughs> to sleep now? <laughs> well, I, I couldn't disagree more. And I think if you have a coin, the two sides <laughs> of the coin is Colombia and then the Nordics. Yeah, it, is, think... it is definitely, they're different people. But in general, uh, Nordics are really, really hard and cold and rush and rough. And, you know, you have to really, really build up relationships it takes long time it's not as you go in bogotá and take a taxi and then you have any conversation about you know the rain the traffic the president no here is like if you ask hey sorry you know where the stop uh, is they will look at you like somebody's <laughs> talking to me <laughs> <laughs> well that's right i mean here we get into arguments or into great debates <laughs> with taxi drivers bus drivers the lady down the street who sells the chicle we talk all the time about the weather <laughs> and so on in fact when i was back in london i was doing that and and i was looked at kind of funny by a lot of people so <laughs> you know it's, it's, i bet <laughs> this is but this is the great thing that we pick up from Colombia and this you know openness I think and so it had to have been an experience to to adapt to to such a different culture uh, but now you're over there you've been working in a solidly I would say it's a it's a topic that is this side of the world where we are you I mean you are an expert on the Amazon I know all your research is Guaviare, Caqueta, Amazonia mm -hmm. uh, 
And I just thought you could you could tell us like really what's going on. What are you focused on? I know one of the, the main topics is the arc of deforestation that's taking place. Perhaps you could give us a little bit of an explanation because you know I I don't know very much about it. I just see photos of fires and I see photos of exploitation oh. and and pressure on this vital natural resource. Perhaps you could tell us a bit more though. Yes, absolutely. I think it is a really, really important aspect to talk about. I mean, the, there are so many drivers behind land transformation in the Amazon biome. There is, There has been illegal crops with coca plantations, mining, oil, uh, illegal mining, etc., etc. But very recently, and specifically after 2016, when the peace agreement was signed, between the guerrillas, the FARC, and the government, cattle ranching has been one of the main uh, drivers of deforestation. And specifically, as you mentioned, in Guaviare and Caquetá, where mostly of the uh, deforestation is going on, specifically in between three national natural parks, Latinigua, La Macarena, and Chiribiquete. And Chiribiquete, by excellence, uh, obviously there's an ecological region, but Chiribiquete is the biggest rainforest protected area in the world. It is an um, amazing hotspot of biodiversity with endemic species, with uh, hydrological systems. It is uh, part of the regulation of climate change, uh, not only the Chiribiquete, but the whole northwestern Amazonia in Colombia. If we look at the biome, then it is connected to the other nine countries with mm -hmm. uh, Amazonian regions. So what I do basically uh, in very general terms is how this agricultural expansion, how this cattle branching is detrimenting all these different ecological connectivity corridors in this hotspot of biodiversity. Mm -hmm. And not what are the main drivers, because basically we have a history of what has happened and how a lot of colonization frontiers have moved there, including the coca, including the mining, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But what I do is, okay, what if we keep on providing uh, or extending this cattle in such a lush and pristine territory? We will have enormous consequences, not only for Colombia, but for the whole Amazonian biome and for the world. It is a climate change regulator. And a lot of the conversations in Colombia are among, okay, they regulate the rains. They are they have these flying rivers from the footplains of the Amazon up back to the Andes Mountains. Mm. Uh, and this has, I mean, the relationship between these biomes is the water that cities like Bogota obtain they are directly attained to the Amazon rainforest. So we have a full complexity of actors, a full complexity of uses of land. And at the same time, we have all the different solutions because we can see the negative side of it, but there's also so many positive solutions. And I work with intent attempts to change policymaking to have a look at, okay, where can we start thinking not to only see the negative but also the positive okay well i like i like that uh w way of, of of thinking because of course we're we're so it i mean we're so exposed to the negative because of course it sells you know i'm a journalist it sells the the images of the amazon burning or the image of the you know yeah. a, a bulldozer going through or something or the, the birds you know fleeing uh, a, a forest that's being uh, you know knocked down but it, as you say, it is all connected. Everything is connected. And this, these ecosystems, biomes, are so very fragile. So perhaps then, rather than talking about the negative, tell me what the positives are. What, what positives can we take right now then? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. Obviously, to understand all the negative things, you have to go and, and see and how bad it is and talk to the people, to the stakeholders, to the farmers, etc. The positive thing is that, I, in my eyes, and what I have experienced, is that uh, there is um, a very welcoming understanding of value nature much more than it was maybe 30 years ago. Biodiversity started to be 
one of the negotiations, one of the conversations uh, that was helped for the climate change meetings, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of people have started, I mean, there are some actors that are not uh, obviously on that wheel. Uh, we will know um, some of them, no names, uh, but uh, <laughs> some others are really much into the, well, how, how can we avoid that, for example, cattle ranching or only agricultural expansion or monocultive in other parts mm -hmm. of the Amazon, such as palm oil or things like that, become the one and single economy. Mm. There are a lot of initiatives uh, going on. Uh, they're just to spread it out. And I, I think there's a, such an urgent need to have an Amazonian hub to discuss all these different initiatives where you can include um, bioeconomy of different resources, you can include uh, natural produce, uh, alternative proteins, cosmetics, ecotourism. You have all these different lines that economies and livelihoods specifically can become to change a little bit of, of the mindset of, okay, the land is just for, you know, cattle and I'm a man or I'm a woman that only sells cattle and this goes on and on and on. So I believe firmly that we have an opportunity now in Colombia after all that has happened with the new government and with all the bossing uh, around the deforestation that has been increasingly accelerating and alarming uh, for the last uh, five, six years. And that is something that it's becoming, you know, we are in understanding, we are as Colombians interpreting that nature is valuable, that land is not just, you know, people will think a forest is something that is not for use, then just cut it off. It has to produce. So mm. I think the, this shift now, which requires a huge paradigm shift I believe, from government, from civil society, from everyone, it is that Finally, we can grab the idea of, well, this, this forest, standing forest with jaguars, with toucans, with indigenous communities, with farmers from different parts of the, of the country, it can come up to something. It can give us back and we can protect it. We can conserve it. We can make regenerative systems that along nature can support the systems for production slash conservation. This is where the positive picture um, I stick to. And obviously, there's a lot of work to do, and it's fascinating. But you have to stick to it. Otherwise, you, you get up each morning going, oh, God. <laughs> but it's the truth. That's such an interesting thing. Is like if, you know, if, we, if we were able to do a sort of mestizaje of these things, in French, you would say like a metissage. I, I see mm -hmm. it like a, a, a piece of string that you bind together to make a full piece of string you know like as you said the cosmetics the super fruits or whatever the ecotourism mm -hmm. and everything and then of course bringing into it um you know uh what's it uh, food security of course you know which needs to be discussed in in this because that's one of the things that everyone will knock back oh yeah but the country and the land needs to produce because we're not and now in this economic uh, disaster that we are living we need to become self-sufficient But that doesn't mean bulldozing the Amazon for more palm oil. <laughs> you know, that means exactly. a careful planning of how to do this. So, I mean, you know, this, this is, I see the positives. I see the positives. But how likely uh, are, are all of these things going to be taken on board? I'm, because there are so many economic interests. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I, and my fear in Colombia is that there's not enough people with enough power let's okay. say to represent the mass rather than you've got too few people with economic clout mm. Mm. who have you know obviously a uh, an over significant amount to say and and uh, decision making and so we say well you know and as mm. you were saying we mentioned no names But the cattle, like <laughs> uh, that gremio, <laughs> that union, is so very powerful and political. I don't know how you come up against because they are like the chief soy oppos <laughs> oppositor. I am the opposition uh, to this yes. current uh, the presidency now of Gustavo Petro. I mean, they are the ones, and we knew mm. we knew this would happen. But uh, let me let me before we get into that, let's wind back. Mm. Is President Santos? So we're looking at three presidents ago now, or two, if mm. you want. Um, 
he extended Chiribiquete, didn't he? It was him, and then President Duque yes. extended it some more. I think it was under Santos, uh, was 2015, Santos 2018. Yeah, uh, probably yeah. were the two years of okay. the expansion. Yeah, and then yeah. and then Duque then called like the Gran Reunión de Amazonia or algo así, el Gran Foro, the, which to me sounded a bit more like a you know a publicity clip for him, but. On the surface, it seems like a good idea that they could get the countries together to talk. But is there any result from this? I mean, have we seen anything? No, no. I mean, I would say the, the expansion of the Chiriquete definitely made um, a huge, huge step in understanding, okay, we in Colombia have almost 46% of the Amazon biomass territory and we have mm. to take care of it. But then the Duque administration went, and I think it's one of the biggest criticisms uh, that we discussed with other researchers and other different um, yeah, uh, networks here outside Colombia. Uh, it was his attempt of the militarized monitoring of deforestation, the Artemisa. So mm. that, that was sort of like jeopardizing the uh, main advancements or the main results of the Duke's government uh, campaign for, you know, the, he had this uh, 180,000 millions of trees that were supposed to be planted as uh, Amazonian reforestation belt. But there was a lot of controversy because, I mean, nobody knew which type of species, nobody knew how many, nobody knew where. They, and it, it was it was obviously the whole setting of the institutional infrastructure that is not strong enough. Mm. So that's the one of the core, um, yeah, I would say, uh, openings of okay, why is it that it didn't work? They have good ideas, Vision Amazonia, among others, with support of different governments, including Norway, Germany, and the UK, was basically behind all these um, super super big locomotora. Of, of activation of protecting the Amazon. But then it was all these different approaches. And, and I would say definitely Duque was campaigning a lot and marketing and publicity, but at the core of the solution, there was not big change. And then we saw in his term, the highest ever recorded rates of deforestation in the Colombian Amazon. So I think we are entering, and it's not to become, as we started talking, it's not to become, to be negative. But now we need to think urgently that these rates of deforestation are going to have enormous consequences. Uh, it's not only that we can stop them and change government. And I mean, it doesn't work like that. These are ecosystems. These are living, living organisms that regulate themselves. And they don't wait for policymakers. They don't wait for decisions to be taken. They just move. So um, I, I believe there's a lot of different research, at least from the Brazilian Amazon, where worst case scenarios are we're going to have, you know, a desertification, a savanization. That means total dryness mm. of the biome in, I don't know, 60 years to come. But I read the other day that, we are close to, for the next 15 years, we are close to cross the tipping point. Where is, uh, if we lose 30% of the total Amazon biome, we will be in a very bad situation against climate change globally. And we are today, right now, uh, 5th of September, at 20%. So... If we reach a 10% loss, uh, I see, okay, there we should get worried. Yeah. Um, but obviously, there is a lot of different people doing good stuff. And I think, and this is what I have learned from the Nordics, that there, is, there has to be a, a trust building mm. process. And yeah. I think we are getting into that in Colombia, as you say, how with these powerful actors and, you know, the cattle ranching gremio is... Is very strong, and and this is something that I mean, if they want to become the sustainable cattle productive figure as they promote themselves, they have to deal with the trade offs that come along with this transition on transformation to be open about the land 
distribution, land tenure, environmental justice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's so many layers. Um, but I, I know many Colombians and many other people uh, that we are working to give this message across with our research, with our campaigning, uh, social societies, uh, just highlighting the importance of not Brazilian Amazon as the one and only, but mm. the whole biome as a living organism that has to be thought. Uh, but coming back to your first question, Sorry. I don't think the whole idea of the Duque government, <laughs> yes, um, came up with nothing to go there. So yeah. we have a lot of work to do. I think, you know, I think, like you say, it was it was a lot of noise. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and we must appreciate the publicity given because that's what it generated. 100%. But I don't yes. think they went much beyond that. I think it was very much, it was, it burned very bright for a very mm-hmm. short amount of time and then went away. And and I also think that we were in his two years when when President Duque was out uh, looking for a new job. Uh, so, and he's, <laughs> he's always wanted to be the sort of older statesman and an environmental defender type person. So mm-hmm. I think I think this all played into his, his future... Uh, uh, what would you say, uh, CV or resume? Yes. <laughs> so I think yes. I think there was for a lot because sure. we do know that he was on, knocking on doors for about two years. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, there has to be a reason. I mean, um, it wasn't just because he wanted it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it. I mean, you know, there are, and you you raise that point. It's not just the Amazon's not just in Brazil. Yes. A massive amount is not just in Brazil. And it doesn't end at borders. Like you say, they all connect. Uh, exactly. this is a, a side note is my dad used to get, my dad was Canadian. He used to get really, really annoyed mm. when he was in the US because when he was watching the mm. weather forecast, it stopped at the border. So he couldn't <laughs> see what was going on in Canada. But I, so I, I see that kind of attitude towards the Amazon, you know, okay, well, that's Colombia and that's Peru and that's Bolivia and that's Venezuela. Now, I got yes. some really fascinating figures this morning from Koika. Uh, it's a, a, an indigenous, isn't it? A, a unity yes. to people, a, a press mm-hmm. release. And they say the aim that we should be looking at is to save 80% of what is still here by 2025. Obviously, you mm-hmm. know, working with the knowledge of the indigenous people on the ground who know how this. And, and then there were figures further down, which I found absolutely. I mean, terrifying is that 34% of the Brazilian Amazon is under pressure or at threat. 24% or 24, I think it's 24% of the Bolivian Amazon, 16% of the Ecuadorian, 14% of the Colombian and 10% of the Peruvian. So 90% of all of that thing is in Brazil and Bolivia. But you can't mm. rule out the others like Ecuador, Colombia, Peru, because it's all mm. together. I, I mean, these, mm. these figures coming out are, are are just are just terrifying. And I so I want to ask though, when you are doing all these studies on land transformation, how do you map it? I mean, because you've been down mm. there, how do you actually? I mean, is it with satellites or with drones? Mm-hmm. What what are you doing when you're down in the field? Yes, that's that's a really nice question. I mean, first of all, all this, as you said, all this biome is composed and it's one a connected environment in mm-hmm. all these countries. But it's also very important to remember that this very specific spot in the world, specifically in what it is, Brazil, Venezuela, uh, Colombia and Ecuador um, and Peru is the Guyana Shield. Yes. And this Guyana Shield, it is a very, very particular uh, type of environment. And it has, it's, it's very, very um, interesting in terms of geology, morphology, uh, anthropology. It has so many different, you know, components. Do you have an idea for a great new podcast? You can bring your idea to life and start your podcast today with Libsyn. Our podcast has been on Libsyn for, well nine years and we love it libsyn has everything you need to plan launch and grow your own podcast libsyn provides some of the best resources created by expert podcasters who will show you everything you need to know like what equipment you should use how to record great audio how to get your show onto apple podcasts and other popular platforms and much more plus 
as a friend of Columbia calling, when you sign up with Libsyn, you get your first month of podcast hosting for free. There has never been a better time than right now for you to start podcasting. Visit libsyn.com and use code FRIEND, that's F-R-I-E-N-D, and that's Libsyn, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N, Dot com and use the code FRIEND to get started and create your podcast today. So perhaps you could tell us, uh, Jessica, a little bit about this, this uh, the, the shield, the Guyanese shield. Yes. Yeah. The, I mean, coming back to how important it is to think about the Amazon as a huge biome, as one single biome. Uh, well, the Guyana shield is one of the regions of highest biodiversity globally. And it has like super many endemic species. And you have also the tepuis, which are these super famous uh, mountain mountain table tops uh, that are across some Venezuela, Colombia, uh, some Mm. in Brazil. But this, all this, I mean, the Guyana shield also combines um, this uh, inter interconnection, Mm. the Andes and the foothills and the Orinoco. So you have. One of these super interesting, um, uh, how you call it, uh, biographically rich area, and then mm. how they and this this is working together. But then once you add governments and borders and policies and mm-hmm. all these different, then it becomes not the shield anymore, basically. Um, and I think that's one of the efforts that institutions or organizations such as Koika are really, really working towards. And there's also a bunch of different, um, I mean, there's Gaia as well in Colombia, mm. the RAISC, the Geographic, Geographical Association in Brazil, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But then I, uh, you were asking me, okay, how, how do I monitor? How do I go and make my field work? And how, how do I relate? So taking into account that I cannot isolate units uh, or agents, let's say, the social, I study basically social ecological systems. So yeah. how humans can change that ecology or transform or adapt. Yeah. So what I do is work with stakeholders. I do a lot of interviews. I do a lot of um, systems thinking approach systems, which is uh, conceptual modeling, basically. I mm. go and play around with different conceptual models of all the different questions along combined with a geographical systems and spatial analysis. So one thing that I do is go and download tons and tons of different data, satellite data, where you can follow real-time information on forest fires and also where you can see how many hectares have been moving. What we're trying to do now is how to associate those deforested areas specifically to cattle. Uh, because it, it has a very specific um, identification analysis and you have some specific units that you cannot recognize. I mean, the Amazon biome sometimes, if, if you go to the Chiribiquete, for example, mm. if you go there and go and make a satellite imagery analysis, you will see the green carpet, basically, in many of the spaces. Mm. But once you go to the frontier, where the agricultural is going on, then you can see, well, there is some... Uh, agroforestry systems there's some combination of trees or they could be um, reservoir of water but once you jump and zoom in even more uh, let's say 10 meters resolution 30 meters resolution then you will have specific units that can recognize what are the units let's say the cattle rancher house or Mm. the pot of water that is set for the cattle or even the super clear cut and burning of the forest right next to a grassland or a pasture that has been recently open. So what we're doing now is asking people, okay, not only because there's a lot of information basically, but in Colombia, the IDEAM, the Institution mm-hmm. for Hydrology and Meteorology, they have all, all sorts of data, but these data are super delayed. So now there's a planet, there is the Maryland University with Global Forest Watch information, et cetera, et cetera. So all those data have to be controlled and attained for quality data as well. And what we do is work with modeling and specifically recognition of what are the specific units in the landscapes that show us where is the cattle moving and how was the track of the cattle 
in those 100 hectares mm. and how it's moving to this 300. And we are accumulating these numbers and then we can probably think and say, well, if these are the numbers that have been increasing from 2016, uh, we can see, well, these will be the numbers that might probably be in 2030. And why not 2050 if we keep in the same curve of um, acceleration, for example. So I do a lot of interviewing and I do, I did an um, overfly um uh, a tour with uh, Fundación para la Conservación uh, on the 4th of February this year, which was the highest number of fires per hour That's registered right. ever. And that was that was incredible because one thing is go and see from above mm. how it is, but a whole different thing is feeling the heat of the humid tropics together with those fires in that tiny little bit like super tiny, <laughs> a small flight. <laughs> yeah. That was. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're, you're in like a little, I mean, like a flying egg up there <laughs> above <laughs> the. Exactly. And, but this isn't done with the military. This is done with, uh, you know, environmental uh, agencies, right? Yes, part of it. Yeah. I mean, if it's not, it's not at all recommendable to do it just by yourself. Or mm. I mean, it has to do with a lot of security issues and research purposes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But one one thing is satellite imagery nowadays is helping us to see and follow the trends. Um, mm. But another thing is going and saying, well, we have to stop basically this frontier to advance mm. because then we risk uh, to come into this so-called 30% of tipping point from mm. all, I mean, compared talking about Brazil in in Argentina, in Cerrado, in Brazil, it's already an emitter. They, they're sending enormous amounts of greenhouse emissions to the air right now. And this is something that is going to happen in the future, potentially, yeah. from the other Amazonian countries. So now we have the opportunity, or at least the uh, the chance to click on the button and say, well, we better get doing some good stuff about uh, mm -hmm. planning, management, securing uh, food security, combining the nexus between land studies and food studies and giving opportunities not only for farmers and indigenous peoples, but also for consumers in the big cities to know where exactly this need specifically is coming from, because it is a lot about information. It is yeah. a lot about uh, the voice to voice. And there is a bunch, I mean, our new minister, Susanna uh, Muhammad has said uh, of the environment, she said, well, we need to set up a traceability that is connected to this enormous supply chain. But then where comes the supply chain uh, actor that can change everything? That's the consumer. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess we yeah. need to start talking about it as well. I was I was actually going to ask you about the new minister mm -hmm. Susanna Muhammad. Uh, uh, I mean, how do you feel? I I I you know in my pinko liberal uh, background, <laughs> although I am mm -hmm. not a vegetarian, I do like a steak. I I am fine <laughs> with Fair this idea, but with this <laughs> idea of traceability, I would like to know. I would yeah. like to know that this came from a you know an area that's designated for cattle farming and not an expansion into Amazonian. I would be I am a hundred percent in agreement with this. Just like we know where, let's say, if we're in Europe, fruit is where it's coming from. I want to buy locally. I want yes. to buy. Why can't we do the same with with yeah. uh, uh, with with beef or something? I don't know. I mean, I want to know as well that my the chicken is free range, for example. Mm -hmm. Not not it's it's isn't it just an evolution? It's just the next step. But the the Grêmio is going crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. I mean, it is, it, and it, it comes with trends. You know, mm -hmm. specifically here in in Europe and mostly in the Nordics, the new generations are starting to become much more conscious about the provenance of their what mm. they consume. And this is not only food, but also, you know, clothing and mm. uh, fuel and et cetera, et cetera. So as you say, we we are really, really far behind uh, yeah. in terms of technology, let's say, to put it to put that in that in those terms. But at the same time, as you mentioned before, there is also the risk of not taking the right and proper actors to begin the conversation. Mm -hmm. 
So it is it is a question of power. Uh, yeah. First of all, there is a lot of power in in this uh, yeah supply chain uh, globally. But then when you zoom it out to to Brazil, then well, their first country, these exporters of meat. But then Colombia, what they want to is this sector. What they want to is to you know become one of the potential mm. exporters of meat. And now we have, for example. Uh, latest data that I've read uh, not long ago, it's uh, we are export, exporting meat to Russia, Lebanon, e- Egypt. Uh, and this is in form of uh, living cattle and dead cattle. Mm. So th- this is becoming to, it is started as, as, as if it was just, you know, the domestic problem in uh, meat that was sent from Villavicencio to Bogotá, Medellín, Cali, from, you know, provenance in unknown territories in the Amazon. But now the whole sector is obviously getting higher and higher in interest in how can we become this, you know, potential exporter, uh, as same as Brazil and Argentina. Obviously, we're not going to get at the same levels to mm. compete to those super crazy potential cattle exporter, exporters same time it makes you think, well after the 2016 peace agreement as guerrillas move away as you might also mm. have heard all these territories were untouched and lots of land grabbers and land tenure owners started to come and then suddenly in the same years especially in covid years they had they yeah, the what do you say? The GDP, um, uh, what do you call it? The um, yeah, the GDP from the cattle sector was increasing a lot mm-hmm. compared to in, going in parallel to what the hectares of deforestation were increasing in the Amazon. There's no such a clear evidence that you know these two are connected, but it is obviously one attempt to go and have much more territory for cattle and we have a specific area in the northern part of Colombia and in the Orinoquia that has been devoted to cattle uh, sustainable and sustainable practices there's a whole different chapter but those areas have to be the ones to keep on going rather than expanding and using even more land in places like Amazon it's as if you give a you know a children 3,000 grams of sugar per day. You are giving this cattle access to 300 <laughs> hectares per second. It yeah. is it is crazy. It's, it's, it's not the proper thing to do. And I think we have the opportunity and we have to have the conversation in Colombia and with other governments to start thinking to protect more biodiversity, more ecosystem services, more people instead of the profit of you know growth of industries and sectors and this has been a such a complex issue in from from many countries but i i do believe we we're gonna change and transform. well i think i think there's a greater understanding by a younger generation i really do yeah. and when you speak to young bogotanos young uh, i mean costeños young uh, mm-hmm. people from medellin or elsewhere i think you start seeing it unfortunately we are urban dwellers we're not out there on the frontier seeing what life is like i mean there's a big mm-hmm. difference but these 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 questions and everything and, and the statements and the declarations that we make, you and I, in this conversation, it comes back to this one issue at the end, mm-hmm. and it's land ownership and land use, yes. which, of course, not point number one on the peace agreement. <laughs> I mean, point number one, <laughs> if we were to, yes. sort of, let's say, unravel a lot of the Colombian conflict, of course, there are so many different, obviously, uh, issues mm-hmm. that come in, but land is is that thing and land is equated to wealth we need to equate the wealth of the land to the biodiversity of the land and what it means as you know as a community as a whole Uh, i understand that and like you said there are areas in the orogonokia so i imagine sort of meta and casanare that have always been dedicated to cattle farming cordoba sucre so northern antioquia Yes. Why should we be pushing the frontiers? Why can't we? Because I, you know, I drive up to the coast every now and then, um, mm-hmm. up to uh, Montpos, and we go through the areas of Cesar. Yeah, yeah. lots of cattle farming, and of course, uh, when you pass places near to Agua Chica and there's uh, yeah. at Morrison, there's, there's um, palm oil. Exactly, but it's, it's always mm-hmm. been. 
you know, that yeah. area. And that yes. has always been. And so I have no issue with it. This has yeah. been the expansion. Yeah. But to deforest for more, it just seems, well, of course, I mean, you and I, we're on the same page. Uh, yes. But but how, I mean, <laughs> like you said, there are organizations working for this that we are, uh, you know, we, there is a greater conscience. We mm. do have a government in place that is aware of this, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that action needs to be uh, taken. Now, you did mention, and we'll finish on this because otherwise it will go, we can talk for hours, um, but <laughs> that you did mention the Operacion Artemis, wasn't it? Artemis or Artemisa? Yeah, Artemisa. That mm-hmm. was to yes. mi- militarize the jungle, right? To, to yeah. ensure. But if there are high-ranking political (laughs) figures involved in the expansion. I'm saying this very carefully because I'm located in Colombia. Yes, yeah, yeah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) high-ranking political figures involved in this and the military obviously is very aligned with the government. Did it work, the militarization of the jungles to protect it? Well, there, there is, there is obviously the the line in between those that are saying yes, it was right, and those that are uh, saying it wasn't. Um, I think, I think it is, it is a super important topic, and and this goes. Uh, I mean, I don't research in that, but I deal mm. a lot with it. Uh, it goes in the environmental peace building processes. Mm. So what it is here, all the Artemisa was. Basically, uh, yeah, brilliant enough, put it all together. It was uh, an attempt for the government to say, we're going to tackle those, you know, bad boys. But suddenly, all these bad boys uh, were the ones that they wanted to pick up. And this started to become to uh, be selective for small and medium farmers. The bigger actors, the big investors, names across all of them had relationships with the different political uh, and governmental entities that were, I mean, you can add corruption, you can add a uh, road system, you can add all the different layers, that's for clear. But what Artemisa did was a huge, huge mistake in misusing the resources to protect forests and to protect livelihoods. And it was a lot, it, it just disturbed the whole uh, conversation of how, how can we get to, you know, to the point that we don't expand and we don't detriment land. We, we're not only talking about deforestation, but also degradation. So if we continue with these high levels of deforestation, we will have degraded soils. That means no opportunities for anyone to build and cultivate the land. So Artemisa was totally blind in saying, we're going to tackle, we're going to militarize. I mean, there's tons and tons and tons of money figures here. I don't know the exact number, but there's billions of dollars, I will dare to say, that could have been invested in so many different ways, in so many different extensive ways with education, with programs, with, uh, you know, um, uh, building knowledge, uh, introducing and exchanging knowledge between indigenous people and farmers and academia and civil actors, etc., etc. They could be 100% um, reliable on, okay, security is one reason. Yes, it was a difficult territory, no doubt. Colombia has a very, very, you know, specific story. 60 years of internal conflict and these areas were obviously um, a, a nightmare in terms of security, many others in Colombia. But at the same time, this attempt and obviously to close down because I know we can keep on talking, this is something that in many other countries, even in Africa, in I mean, in tropical countries that have had problems like that, they already failed and there was evidence about it and there were results and there was a lot of different uh, organizations such as FAO, UN, uh, World Bank, you name it, telling, please don't use the approach for the militarized control. And then it's like, well, why then our dear uh, Duque, sorry, um, <laughs> did something like that. Uh, no, all my respect to the, all these people. But anyway, how how didn't we, how didn't they think that there was a whole different layer of opportunities rather than going to militarize? And if 
you continue then uh, just from my very personal view, uh, combined with my experience in sustainable land management, never go for the, you know, just, just build peace, just go and, and try to have dialogues. And, and I think we are coming to that. But Artemisa, in my eyes, was one of the biggest failures of the control of deforestation. Yeah. And I mean, it'd be just, uh, as you said, dear Duque, the solution of his government to almost everything was militarization. And, you know, mm. it's been proven and disproven and whatever else. But exactly. I think you say, I think you say, it's the, you know, the, the, the dialogue needs to continue. The people on the ground need to be involved. And there are so many different entities doing good work rather than yes. doing that. And I think that's, you know, we, that's what we leave. I, I, I want to just say one of the things that you said, and I just mm -hmm. want to bring it back because it was just so awesome. It's like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. these biomes are living organisms. They don't wait for policy. I'm going to use that in publicity <laughs> for this because I think it's just so good. Let me take this moment, uh, uh, Jessica, and say thank you so much for your time. It really has been enlightening and fun and to talk about this and to learn so much more. So when can we expect you to become the Minister for the Environment? Well, I, I really expect, <laughs> I mean, I have high expectations, <laughs> but what, what I really want her to talk about is... No, you, I want you to be the Minister for the Environment. <laughs> well, no, politics is not my thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you weren't at all political in this conversation, not at all. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm far from that. I, okay. I stay where I am right now. <laughs> okay, well, but very good. thank you good. so much, Richard. I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you so much uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to jessica lopez who's there in sweden uh, in lund and you know just to be able to have someone who's so you know really you have just made it so very clear uh you know sometimes we get academics who who speak in, in pure academia, uh, and it's a little bit difficult. But this has been very, very accessible, even to people such as myself. And and I, you know, I can get lost on so many things. Uh, mm -hmm. So thank you again for your time. And please keep keep writing the reports and keep getting the information out there so that we can keep this an international conversation. 100%. I'm really looking forward for the new years to come. Thank okay. you so much, Richard. Excellent. So we've been talking to Jessica Lopez. This has been uh, episode 439 of the Columbia Calling podcast. I'll put a link up to her articles, her academic articles online. And of course, please subscribe, tune in, share, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. And now we'll go over to some messages from our sponsors. Thank you again for listening and bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean. Since 1967, their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. And also, our other sponsor is BNB Colombia Tours, experts in custom-made travel throughout Colombia. The team at BNB Colombia Tours can provide you with fantastic private experiences, creating wonderful memories of Colombia for a lifetime. Check out the website at bnbcolombia.com, complete the free itinerary form, and tell them that Colombia Calling sent you to receive a further 5% off their already great prices. So that's bnbcolombia.com and of course, latinnews.com. Thank you for everyone for listening. That's us. Farewell. And of course, check back next week. Bye-bye.
So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 